Uh, hello, everyone. My name's Scott. Uh, you probably have met me if you are not new. If you are new, hi, I'm Scott. Uh, Riley's asked me to preach this week because of the great news of the birth of Zoe Rose. He didn't have the... Well, he had other priorities this week, obviously, so uh, I'm stepping in uh, for good or for ill. Uh, but let me pray now that uh, we will hear God's Word uh, spoken well by me, and uh, then we'll get stuck in. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that Your Word shows us who You are and what You are doing in this world. And please help us to be people who are open and receptive to Your Word as You make it clear to us. Uh, please be working in our hearts by Your Holy Spirit today to apply the truths of Your Word and Your Gospel to our hearts. And please help me to speak faithfully about Your passage this morning from uh, the book of Matthew. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, all right, let me start off by reading uh, the passage that we'll be looking at today. Today we're going to be looking at this, uh, the problem of expectations. Uh, expectations have a massive impact on how we perceive our lives, how we set our priorities, how we make sense of what's happening to us. Uh, in fact, when I uh, got married to Emma, one of the first things that I learned about being a husband is I, I found the secret to making Emma annoyed and upset and angry. And that was to tell her we're going to do something and then not do it. Uh, to set up a false expectation of something that we would do and then turn around and say, actually, no, I, I don't feel really up to that today. Let's do something else instead. Uh, and I found that Emma's expectations, if they were falsely shaped of what I would then go on to do, uh, it led to serious problems uh, for me. And uh, that, I think that problem of expectations is uh, a serious one for all of us. If we have false expectations for how our lives are going to go, it becomes really hard for us to make sense of what God is doing and uh, how things are going on. And we're actually going to see that today in the life of John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist was someone whose expectations of Jesus were disappointed. And uh, today we're going to see how Jesus responded to that. So let's start by reading uh, Matthew chapter 11. When Jesus had finished instructing His 12 disciples... He went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to them, said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days from John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? 
It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for the mi- if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. We see in this passage a whole bunch of different expectations of Jesus that have gone awry. Expectations from John the Baptist, expectations from people seeing what John the Baptist had just done, and expectations of the people who are in the towns of Israel. And I want to just start off a big framing point that will uh, underpin everything that I say today, and that is our expectations in our lives need to be shaped by a correct understanding of the person and work of Christ as revealed to us in God's Word. If we want to understand what it means to live well as a Christian, our expectations need to be shaped by what God's Word says about who Christ is. Uh, let's have a look at the first person in this passage who has wrong or uh, skew-if expectations, uh, John the Baptist. If you think about who John the Baptist is, uh, John the Baptist, uh, we've already met him in Matthew's Gospel, I'll actually read to us in a moment a passage about what we've seen from him in the past, but John the Baptist was one of the single boldest and most uh, important proponents of the ministry of Jesus early on in Jesus' ministry. Jesus was introduced by John the Baptist. John the Baptist baptized Jesus and actually saw the Holy Spirit descend on him like a dove and heard God's voice say, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And yet now, just a few chapters later in Matthew's Gospel, over the span of however many weeks, months, or possibly years since that moment, John has now come to a completely different conclusion. John is now in prison and he sends his messengers to ask Jesus, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? How has this happened? How has John the Baptist, one of the most bold and courageous and important figures in the life of Jesus, someone who met Jesus face to face, someone who heard God say that this is my beloved son, how is this man so discouraged and so disappointed? I think part of the answer is in the ministry of John himself. If you look back to uh, Matthew chapter 3, I just want to quickly read out the first time we meet John the Baptist. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken about by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. And then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? 
bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. If you hear the way that John preached about Jesus, John was expecting a triumphant Messiah. If you think about the whole history of Israel up until this point, Israel were not in a good state at the time of the ministry of Jesus. They had been, they had been a very prosperous nation under the reigns of King David and King Solomon. But after that, the Assyrians came and uh, destroyed them to within, in, uh, basically the only the city of Jerusalem was left. Then after that, the Babylonians came in and completely ransacked Jerusalem and took all of the people away to be uh, held as captives in other cities and other nations. Then after that, the Medes and the Persians came through, then the Greeks came through, and the, during the time of the Greek occupation of Israel, they had a, a short moment where they fought them back and were able to get a hold of some territory again. Then that was lost again uh, when the Romans came in. And so the, the history of Israel for that last six or seven hundred years had just been this constant story of geopolitical struggle and turmoil and victor, victories, not many victories, mainly defeats, just constant defeats, defeats, defeats. And the people of Israel at that point were trying to make sense of how can God's promises come true in a place where we are constantly being defeated over and over and over again. And yet during this whole time, the prophets were prophesying, saying that there will be a time in the future when God will send His messenger and He will send his chosen king, his Messiah, his anointed one, to restore the nation of Israel. And now John the Baptist thinks rightly that he is right on the cusp of this. He is the one who will announce the coming of this Messiah. But you hear the language John uses. He says things like, his winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John is expecting Jesus to be a triumphant military ruler, as so many people were expecting in Jesus' time. He is expecting the kingdom of God to be coming with power. He's expecting the kingdom of God to be radically transforming the place where they live. And yet, what has Jesus just been doing in the last few chapters that we've looked at? Jesus has gathered His disciples to Himself. He's sent them out, um, poorly equipped to go from town to town, preaching the news about the kingdom. So far, the kingdom of God has been advancing through preaching, mainly, and through miraculous works, to be sure, but there's no power, there's no military victory, there's nothing that John was expecting. John had very different ideas about who Jesus was going to be and what Jesus was going to do. And as a result of this, he's disappointed. And he sends word to Jesus saying, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus is preaching a message that rather than bringing together God's kingdom and God's people in a way that will lead to them having triumphant victories that will completely transform uh, the geopolitical structure of Israel, instead what they have is a message of division 
a message that will turn people against them, a message that will even make their own family members potentially hate them for following him. It's, it's a very different position. Uh, the, the, the kingdom is coming in a very different way than what John was expecting. And we can probably feel this way sometimes in our lives, that when we follow Jesus, we think it's going to go one way, and then our lives take a completely different turn. Uh, on the very same day that I heard the news that uh, the Springs were blessed with the birth of uh, Zoe Rose, I found out that a couple that I went to Bible college with uh, had to have an emergency C-section for a baby that uh, was born a bit too early, and the baby's heart had stopped, and mother and baby are now still in this moment in a situation where they're just not sure what's going to happen next. They don't know what's going to happen for the health of mother or baby. And it's life just throws these things at us, uh, and it's really hard to know, how am I supposed to trust God at a time when suffering and difficulty can come? Why am I not seeing the triumph that I am expecting to see? And John is feeling this. John is not only disappointed by the fact that Jesus doesn't seem to be conquering Israel in the way that he expected, but more than that, he is now languishing in prison. He is suffering indignity, uh, he's scorned, he's mocked, he's, he's locked away, he's cold, he's probably hungry, and, you know, all of the different ways you can suffer in prison. And he's thinking, is this really what I signed up for? Is this, this life of suffering and difficulty that I'm now facing, with death probably on the horizon for me, is this what it looks like to be part of the glorious kingdom of God? Is this what the coming of the Messiah is really going to look like in my life? And yet Jesus answers John, and he answers John uh, by basically using John's own playbook. He quotes Isaiah to him. Uh, this is uh, what Jesus, uh, he quotes first of all from Isaiah 35. You'll, you'll see that, uh, well, actually I'll just quickly read the, what he says again, but he says to John, uh, or says to the disciples to go back to John, Go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So Jesus is quoting uh, several different Old Testament passages there, but I just want to read out a couple to you. Uh, this is Isaiah 35, and you'll recognize some of the language from Matthew 31. Isaiah 35, verses 3 to 6. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Be, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Jesus' ministry of miracles that he has been unfolding up until this point is confirming his identity. So Jesus is showing John here, you might be disappointed by the way things are panning out. Maybe it's not meeting your expectations, but the kingdom is coming. I am the one you are pointing to. I am God's promised Messiah. And the things that you're hoping for, they are on the way. They are just not yet. And again, it says, strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. And then uh, another quote that Jesus is referring to here, 
Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and to release from darkness for the prisoners. So Jesus quotes Isaiah to John, two different passages from Isaiah. There's also a few other little references in there that I haven't uh, mentioned as well. But what Jesus is showing John here by quoting, uh, by showing how his ministry is fulfilling these Old Testament promises, he's showing John that Jesus is bringing the kingdom. Jesus is bringing a triumphant new kingdom that is going to turn the world upside down. It's just that it doesn't look the way that John thought it would. John was expecting one thing and Jesus came with another. And yet what Jesus brings is God's glorious plan. God's glorious plan that has been prophesied since from hundreds of years before in the prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all of these guys. Malachi will be quoted in just a little while. And John would have known his Old Testament. He would have known just from these tiny little quotes the context of all these passages. And the context is that all of the evil in the world is going to be judged by God. The people who are uh, trampling over the kingdom are going to be called to account. And the, the beginning of this is the coming of the Messiah. The Messiah is going to come with a ministry of miracles that will answer these Old Testament prophecies and fulfill these Old Testament prophecies. But the triumph that Jesus is bringing right now is not a political triumph. The triumph that Jesus is bringing is not a triumph that will be seen by this marvelous new kingdom uh, in Israel, led by a, a military ruler and trampling the Romans. None of that is what is happening. And yet, it is exactly what God plans. It is the fulfillment of God's prophecies in the Old Testament. And so, I think the lesson that we can learn here from John is that when our expectations of Jesus are not grounded in a correct understanding of God's Word, our expectations will be disappointed. But when they are grounded in a correct understanding of God's Word, they will be gloriously fulfilled. And Jesus says to John, blessed is the one who, does not, who, who is not offended or who is not scandalized, who does not fall away, that's what the word there means, Blessed is the one who does not fall away or is not offended on account of me. When you look at John the Baptist, it might be tempted, you might be tempted to look at him and think, well, he was someone who saw Jesus. He was someone who actually saw him, uh, you know, he saw the Spirit descend on him like a dove. He heard the voice of God from the clouds confirming that Jesus is God's chosen Messiah. And yet, even in, in the midst of all that, he's still disappointed and he still uh, struggles to see how following Jesus could possibly be what God had planned. But what about for us? What is going on in your life right now that is different to what you expected? What is following Jesus looking like for you that is different to what you expected? What lesson can you learn from the disappointment of John the Baptist and the encouragement that he received from Jesus? John did not see what he thought he was going to see happening in his life. In fact, he probably expected to be sitting at the right hand of this triumphant king, you know, so, yeah, I pointed this guy out and now he's going to lead us and I'm just going to be right here enjoying the whole thing. Instead, he's sitting in prison, waiting to be killed. His life did not pan out the way that he probably wanted it to, or certainly not the way he would have wanted it to, 
but also not the way he would have expected. And yet Jesus' encouragement to him is the kingdom is advancing. I am the king that you've been waiting for. God's glorious promises are being fulfilled in me. And that same encouragement is there for us as well. Even in the midst of your life not going the way that you thought it should, even in the midst of the circumstances of your life being very different from where you would have planned, the kingdom of God is gloriously advancing in Christ. And the fulfillment of this kingdom may not come until after our lives are over. Uh, the, the, the glories and the, the beautiful moments that we are waiting for in Christ, uh, the, the marvelous things that we sung about this morning, the hope that we have in Christ, all of these things are on the way, but they're not necessarily going to come to us in the way that we would choose at the time of our choosing, um, because God has plans that are not our plans. And if our expectations are shaped by anything other than the Word of God, those expectations are very likely to be disappointed. Now, if you look at the way the crowd responded to John, uh, it, can, it can almost look like, oh, you know, John, he, he wussed out and he, he's this kind of, uh, he's lost all his credibility now because he, he doubted Jesus and that means that uh, the whole, you know, everyone can just ignore John the Baptist now because he, he wasn't all that great after all. He, he wussed out in prison and uh, we're just going to have to move on with Jesus without him. But that's not how Jesus treats John. In fact, one of the things I really love about this passage is that Jesus does not see John in light of this particular failing. Uh, Jesus sees John according to the role that he has to play in God's kingdom. And so we go on to look at the, the next part of our passage. Uh, Jesus says to the crowds, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? And he's probably meaning there, um, a reed blows whichever way the wind is blowing. And so he's probably making a little bit of a comparison to popular speakers of the time, popular people who are just saying whatever's fashionable to hear right now, like he's some fancy guy saying all the newest and most interesting stuff. And Jesus is saying, well, no, John obviously wasn't like that. John was preaching a message that was pretty full on. Um, was he wearing soft clothes? Was he kingly? Was he regal? Was he uh, some sort of wealthy, important man? And that's why you went out to see him? Well, obviously not. John was wearing a cloak of camel's hair and wearing a leather belt around his waist. He would have looked like a caveman compared to our standards. He wasn't fancily dressed. That's not why people went out to see him. But why did you go out to see him? Did you go out to see a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Uh, that's a quote from uh, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. And I actually just want to quickly read to you uh, two little sections of Malachi. I should have marked in my Bible. Luckily, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, so I'll find it very quickly. Uh, helps to know where things are. All right, so, behold, I send my... This is Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple... And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And then at the back end of Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter desolation. 
So Jesus, again, he quotes the Old Testament, and he's quoting the Old Testament to make very clear that this John the Baptist guy, just because he's having this moment of doubt, just because he's having this moment of weakness, that does not mean that he is any less important than what he has already done. His role in the kingdom has been prophesied since uh, hundreds of years before. God's Word has established that John the Baptist has an important role to play in the kingdom. And Jesus goes so far even to say that He is the greatest man to have ever been born of women up until this point. He is the greatest person who has lived, aside from Jesus, I suppose, up until this point. And the question then is, well, what makes John great? Uh, You know, we we talk a lot lot about, you know, people being the GOAT uh, in sport, like, you know, LeBron James is the greatest basketballer of all time or, you know, whatever. But every time we think about greatness, we're always measuring greatness on some sort of axis, some sort of scale, some sort of uh, standard by which greatness is measured. And so then the question is, what is the standard of greatness on which John is uh, being measured by Jesus. And not only that, this standard of greatness that Jesus is measuring John on, it's obviously the standard of greatness that matters the most, because this standard of greatness is Jesus now saying that John is the greatest man to be born of women up until this point. And I think to answer that question, we just need to think about, well, what is John's role? John's role was to be the forerunner of the ministry of Christ. John's role was to be the person who showed everyone else who Jesus is. This is Jesus. This is God's chosen Messiah. This is the one who was coming to bring in the kingdom of God. And Jesus is saying of John, John is the greatest man who has ever lived. And yet, he then goes on to say straight after that, uh, I've just lost my pace, my passage. It'll, It'll come to me. Verse 11, yet the one who is least the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So John is the greatest person to have been born of woman up until this point, and yet the least in the kingdom of heaven, the least in this new kingdom that Jesus is bringing, is greater than John the Baptist. So what is this measure of greatness? This measure of greatness is pointing to the ministry of Jesus. That is the greatest thing that a person can do with their life. The greatest thing that a person can do with their life is to become part of the kingdom and to show others the glories of its king. When our expectations are shaped by the word of God, we place value in the right things. We place value in the right places in our lives. And so my question to you then is, if the greatest thing that a person can do with their life is to point to Jesus... How does that compare with the visions of greatness that you have mapped out for your life? What greatness are you striving for? What greatness are you aspiring to? And finally, there's one other set of false expectations in this passage, and that is of the people. Uh, The people of Israel did not respond well to John or to Jesus. Uh, Their failure to see the greatness of John is the same root problem, wrong expectations. Their failure to see the greatness of Jesus is also based out of wrong expectations. John pointed to Jesus, and yet even in his manner of, you know, being dressed in a camel's, uh, well, sorry, leather and, you know, all that sort of stuff, he's looking like a crazy man out in the desert, uh, he was living a life of 
just laser-like focus on the fact that Jesus is coming and he, he put aside all the trappings of his society to make it very clear that nothing matters but Jesus. And he was, he was dismissed as a crazy or even demon-possessed man. It says, uh, Jesus says that, uh, you know, John came eating and drinking and they say he has a demon. And then on the flip side, the Son of Man, Jesus, he came eating and drinking and he was rejected as being a glutton and a drunkard a friend of uh, tax collectors and sinners, this, this uh, you know, immoral man. Both Jesus and John, despite their completely different styles, despite their different messages, despite the different ways in which they interacted with people, and even despite the miracles that Jesus was actually unfolding in his ministry, he was healing people, he was uh, driving out demons. You know, we've, we've seen all of the different amazing things Jesus has done up until this point. And yet, both John and Jesus were rejected by so many of the people in Israel. And those rejections were rejections of the work of God in the world. These people were rejecting God's very work among them because they didn't see what was going on. They didn't have the right expectations. The people of Israel were expecting, again, a military ruler, someone who would come in and defeat the Romans and start up this glorious political entity in the land of Israel that would rise back up to the prominence of King David and King Solomon, and it wasn't happening. Instead, what we have is a crazy man preaching out in the wilderness and a really humble guy with a band of followers going around preaching and doing healings and things, but it's not what people were expecting. And Jesus, his response to the, the way that people failed to receive him was to say, there will be a time when you will be called to account for your rejections. Uh, he pronounces judgment on these people. Uh, verse 20, he said, then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Jesus pronounces judgment on the towns of Israel for rejecting him and for rejecting John the Baptist and for rejecting also the mighty works that Jesus was doing to confirm his kingdom. The purpose of all of Jesus' miracles was to show people that he is God's chosen Messiah. He is the one who is bringing the promises of God to fruition in this world. And even though it might not look like what you expect, this is the work of God in this world. Jesus is bringing it. And so, pretty full on to think about, but he says to the people who are witnessing him doing these miracles, it will be more bearable for Sodom, which is a town that is synonymous in the Old Testament with God's furious judgment against sin, literally fire rained out of the sky onto this town because of how sinful they were. It will be more bearable for them than for people who see the work of Christ and reject him. That is a phenomenal statement by Jesus, and a sobering one, I think. But it just goes to show that if our expectations are not shaped by a correct understanding of Christ, we will fail to repent and will remain under the judgment of God. And so, putting all these things together, we see that 
the problem of wrong expectations of Christ is catastrophic for life. It's catastrophic for our ability to face the problems of life. We won't have the resilience to go through hard times if we think that God is going to promise us an easy and smooth and crisp run through this life full of blessings and full of easy times. Uh, I think we all have to look no further than last year to see that God has not promised us a smooth run through life. We will face suffering, we will face struggles. Uh, those of you who know what I went through last year will know that sometimes they come all at once and that there's uh, quite a lot of them that can knock you around in very significant ways. And yet God hasn't promised us any different. We have amazing promises from God. We have amazing commitments in His love to us. And again, we sung about so many of them this morning. Jesus has brought an amazing, majestic kingdom that is marked by the forgiveness of sins and a new relationship with God, and it will be glorious in heaven one day when He returns again to bring His people to Himself. But until then, we are living here in this world. We are carrying a message that, as Riley preached about last week, will bring us into more suffering than we might otherwise endure. If we tell people about Jesus, it could lead to things like broken relationships, being ostracized from uh, various social groups. It may even involve, for some of us in the time to come, imprisonment. Very possible, the way that our society is going. Uh, serving Jesus in this world is not promised as an easy life, but it is a good life, and it is the best life, and it is the fulfillment of God's kingdom. Our expectations, if they are different from that, they will be disappointed. If we, our expectations are around Christ, we will, we will be able to face the difficulties of this life with confidence, knowing that His promises are worth it. We will be able to reorient our lives around the true understanding of what greatness is, and we will be able to be in a relationship with God that allows us to avoid the righteous judgment that we should face for our sin. And it all comes back to what is shaping your expectations? What do you think being a Christian in this world should look like? If your answers to those questions does not come from the Word, if it's not shaped by an understanding of who Christ really is, as outlined in God's Word, then your expectations will be false and they will lead you astray and they will cause you to miss the glory of Christ in this world and struggle through the difficulties of this life. And so let me commend to you as I finish up. Learn who Jesus is. Follow Jesus as He's described by God Himself. Learn the wonderful glories and uh, promises that are given to us in Christ and as we will sing about. And let these things be your anchor. Let these things ground you as you go through the difficulties of life and follow always trusting that God is going to bring His kingdom and it will be glorious, it's just not yet. Pray all this. Uh, let me pray for us now. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Jesus. We thank You that He is Your chosen King. He is the one who will bring Your glorious kingdom to fruition. We thank you for the way in which you've confirmed his ministry for us in your word and the way in which his ministry was confirmed by miracles and fulfilled prophecies and uh, so many different things that authenticate the truth of what he said about himself and about what your word says about him. 
Please give us full, unrelenting trust in the promises that you have made for us in Jesus. Please help us to shape our hearts and our minds around expectations that are grounded in your truth. And please give us a steadfast and stalwart commitment to your kingdom. Please help us to follow you unwaveringly according to your truth as outlined in the Bible. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.